Hello, welcome to episode 8 of the Irish Tennis Updates podcast. My name is Adam and I'm your host. Hope everyone's staying uh, well at the moment, managing to get some exercise in, um, staying safe. Uh, This episode I chat to Mark Finnegan. Mark has a fantastic story in tennis, from junior player with lots of success in Ireland, to US college player, to US college coach, and now he's come back to Ireland and is helping send more, more players on scholarships to the States. We talk about all of this, as well as Mark's view on tennis in Ireland at the moment, and much more. Now, let's get into it. Hope you enjoy. All right, so Mark, if you could have uh, one superpower, what would, what, what would you choose and why? Um, I would go, I'd say it's to be able to flip a switch of knowing when, when you can hear somebody else's thoughts um, <laughs> on and off. Oh, yeah. Um, if I could hear what some of the the, the, the student athletes and, and the players are thinking, and, and even sometimes my own kids and my wife, from time to time, I could really actually then know to be able to how to be able to respond the right way and make sure that I gave them the right information yeah. to help them out. Uh, yeah. So I'd say now, if if I had to name one, that would be a really really good one I'd like to have. Yeah. Because it's probably not something you'd want twenty four seven, but um, it's good to have on and off. Certainly not. And so sometimes <laughs> sometimes I'm always wondering what's going on through the player's head and and what's going on in there. But sometimes there's absolutely nothing going on in there. It's just all going on in my head. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So we'll get into into tennis. I want to start with 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 what you're doing at the moment. Your 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 all sports recruitment. Um, so would you mind just giving, I guess, um, the, ele- the elevator pitch, so just a, a quick summary of, 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 of what it is you are doing at the moment? Yeah, so I, I came back to Ireland after living in America for 16 years and, and ultimately had all of this uh, knowledge and, and way of how people are doing things in America, but also around the rest of the world because I had so many different players from different countries and I always picked their brains of what was good and what was not good in their countries. So I just figured I had all this information and, and you know, I felt like I was an expert. Um, in the process, I'd gone through it myself. Um, I actually use a recruiting agency myself uh, when I actually transferred universities because it wasn't the right fit for me, the first university. So I felt like this would be a great way to help Irish athletes. Um, and I also thought too as well, like I really wanted to get into all sports. Um, you know, there's a lot of recruitment agencies out there that just specialize in one sport, but they're ultimately probably trying to sell sometimes between 50 to 100 players a year. And uh, I don't think that's possible really to be able to do that so I knew in Ireland because we're so small I could focus on like five to ten tennis players a year five to ten golfers then I could really really give them the right fit of university and help them along the process of of identifying identifying what's right for them you know so that's what I do is I try to look for fits and then I also make sure that before you get there is you are able to increase the value of who you are as a student athlete and um, the great thing about America is they value more than just winning college tennis matches. They, they value yeah. the overall person and what you bring as an individual. So I hope to maximize that out before they go and let people be more aware of all these other strengths that they have outside of tennis so that they can use those to their advantage. And yeah. then, you know, ultimately what I'm hoping is when they come back then from their experience in America, then I'm able to be that bridge between America and Ireland. So when I came back from America, I, I, there was nobody here to help me. Nobody understood the process. Nobody understood what I'd gone through in my four or five years and, and the amount of experience that I had. And so if I'm able to be able to be a supportive figure for that player coming back, help them job hunt too as well, then ultimately I can, get, I can sell them to Irish, Irish jobs and, and Irish businesses um, and hopefully get them the right fit of work too as well. 
Yeah, so how, how recently is it that you came back and, and set this up? So about, we're just coming up on about two years here, about a year and a half. Um, so I guess it would have been about this time last year, we uh, two years ago that I decided to, to relocate back to Ireland and, okay. and raise my family. So. Um, so it's all sports, but obviously your kind of your main expertise is, is in tennis. So how like what, what, what kind of percentage of of your clients are tennis and how, how much would be elsewhere? Yeah. So like obviously with any business, you you, you make sure you maximize your strengths to begin with. So that yeah. I already had my network from tennis and I, I just had all the people who, from my whole life, you know. So really my, my first year and a half was all about helping tennis players and then ultimately yeah. hopefully using that. And that experience with them to then allow me to go into other sports. So we've done, I've done one golfer and, and it's been a huge success. And, and okay. we turned around a, you know, a situation for that golfer where academically um, they weren't in, in good standing to go off to America and we got that sorted and now they're over there. Um, but, you know, it's, it's definitely been challenging to get into these other sports because ultimately you have to create all the connections in those sports and then obviously create the trust that they see that there's a value of someone like myself for them. Yeah. Um, so how, how many students are you helping uh, this year? Like how, how so, well, in total, we've, we've helped over 20, 20 players. So some of them are okay. in university right yeah. now. Some are going yeah. off in, in fall 2020 and some are going in 2021. So, um, but right now at the moment, I think there's five or six that are currently in universities. <clears throat> okay. Um, so I always say to people is like, if you want to maximize the process, you've got to start doing this at the beginning of your fourth year because there's so many things that you can do in fourth year that can come back to help you at a later stage because the sixth year is so brutal in Ireland and it's mm. so tough, but the fourth year is a gift. Yeah. And if you can maximize out your fourth year, uh, there's so many things you can get ahead of the game on. Yeah. Um, so how do you hope to, to grow your all sports recruitment into the future? What, what, what are your plans going forward? that yeah i mean the goal is i've been working really hard the last six months is just trying to find the right people to connect with in those other sports uh and then for them to obviously be able to to work with them to make sure that they're experts on that uh, on that sporting side but i'm ultimately the expert of how you can maximize the process of going to america and how to do the process the right way where it's not uh where you don't you don't um run into any barriers and obstacles so, um, yeah, that's hopefully the goal in the next six months. Obviously, this is COVID's kind of put things a little bit on hold here. Yeah, and, yeah. you know, everything's kind of changing a little bit with the landscape. But um, hopefully in the next six months, I've got those relationships established in those other sports where people see the value of, of using someone like myself. And so at the moment, is it just you that, that's kind of that's, that's working for, for all sports? Or do you have other people like that are employed? No, so it's just me. Yeah, it's it's yeah. it's a it's it's a it's a one man ship. Now, it's very yeah. very fortunate. My my um my sister who runs a very successful company called Coil Consulting, and uh, you know she obviously she has contracts with Facebook and Google, and, okay. and uh, she she places recruiters in those jobs. She helped support me my first year as 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 helping me grow the business, and also making sure she helped giving me guidance on how to to be a recruiter. And um, but in the last uh, nine months, we decided that, uh, you know, I'd, I have my two feet on my ground and I was going to go out and do it on my, my own now. So, but she still helps me and she, I still lean on her a lot for her guidance. Yeah. So you mentioned there about obviously COVID-19 has, has had a, an impact recently. How, how big an impact has that had on, on I guess, your day-to-day life and also the, the professional side of it in the last few weeks? Yeah. I mean, I mean, on a, on a personal 
personally, I've got five and a seven-year-old, so it's it's actually been been a lot of fun. I've really I've gotten to do everything with my kids, and yeah, um, you know, funny enough, is uh, right before this happened, I I, I bought a, an inflatable hot tub, so we've been using that as a as a swimming pool for the kids, yeah. um, and the lovely weather the last three days, they've been yeah. splashing around, you know, yeah, so. You know, it's it, this is this is time that we're we're going to look back in years and years to come and 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 really, you know, and and know that we put the things that are most valuable first. Yeah. And um, but obviously, from a business standpoint, from you know a standpoint of of moving things forward, um, you know, there's definitely COVID has is has put a lot of you know obstacles and challenges in 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 the way of recruitment yeah. because of how many different variables are now in play for what might or what mightn't happen. You know. Yeah, so t- talk me through just what the situation is like for for college in the states at the moment because of, so, of the current situation. Yeah, so basically everything was you know a couple of weeks ago was put on hold and the, the spring sports, which is tennis, is included in golf and and uh, um, track and field and baseball. There's, yeah. there's spring's probably the busiest time for NCA sports, and um, they put everything on hold. So then what they did was they gave everybody that. Uh, that whole semester back or year of eligibility back because in okay. college in, in college in America you can only compete four years and you've got usually yeah. five years to play four years so now everybody has this extra year of eligibility which ultimately the funding has really decreased because the what's called the NCA basketball tournament which is a major revenue driver 600 million they 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 typically make okay. from that tournament that okay. goes over a couple of weeks so that money then gets distributed to the schools. Now, for the bigger schools, they don't rely on that as much, but the smaller schools, they do, because it's quite a big chunk of change for them. Yeah. Um, so that's gone down to $275 million, I believe. And so that's obviously going to impact programs. But the biggest one is college football. For these bigger universities, college football can sometimes generate you know, between $40 and $60 million over the course of the semester. So and this is why these other sports like like tennis and golf and track and field and soccers can exist because of the amount of revenue that the college football brings in. Yeah. So, you know, they don't know yet if there's going to be a college football season. Um, obviously, we're fingers crossed that there is. And yeah. I think, you know, they're so – this NCA system has been around for years. It's been around, like, for generations. So I think they're going to be really creative in how they, they, they keep everything going and they don't lose a beat. But – Obviously, there's going to be some small sacrifices that are made along the way, you know. What well, What's the, the hardest thing about the job for you, all sports? I think the hardest part is, as I always keep saying to people, it's going off on a scholarship. It's about getting the right fit of personality of a team and a coach with the player. And I think, you know, for many, many years, people have focused on the scholarship side, which is absolutely really important. Yeah. But, you know, ultimately, it's the it's the fit of personality of coach the player and culture of the team that is important because that will then drive a positive experience. And so I think the most difficult part for me is making sure on both sides from the coach's side and the player's side that they feel good about the fits. And because as a previous college coach, I got the right fits a majority of the time, but I got some wrong fits and the wrong fit of personality of player and coach, both players don't, the, the both, both sides don't feel like they get everything out of the experience that they want. And yeah. I think, I think at the end of the day is, is both, both sides always want to get, want that, but you have to have the right personalities to make sure that that there's a higher chance of that happening. 
So yeah. I'd say that's probably the most challenging part. Yeah. And then on the other side, what, what's your, your, your best memory or the best moment you've had since you started? Yeah, I shared this one with James. Uh, I feel like I should do a different one, but uh, <laughs> it's hard to argue. There's these two girls called the twins, Lola and Saul. And, and if every, I'm sure everybody knows them at this stage, but uh, we're short, um, you know, try to make it as short as I can. But, you know, they helped me clean up my very first presentation I did. I was so nervous and, and yeah. in Malahide and ITF and, and myself. And they stayed behind afterwards. They helped me clean up. They got took two buses to get there. They weren't even playing that ITF. They didn't even play the tournament. Okay. They didn't think they were good enough to play it. Um, and ultimately, you know, six months, I evaluated them. and I told them to come back in six months and they should do this, this, this. And they did everything and more. And and then every step of the journey, every challenge, every obstacle they've had, they've literally like they've they've done it and done it and and and, and accomplished it and, and defeated that obstacle and challenge. And they've been just amazing listeners. And, and you know, we've gotten the right fit for them as a college coach. And they've yeah. now gotten 100 percent scholarship offers. Okay. Um, and they're just yeah. um, they're. Yeah, they and that was their goal and their dream. And, yeah. and I know those girls. I know those girls. They're going to use it to their advantage. They, you know, I think that there's a chance they'll end up being Fed Cup players because they're just going to keep getting better. Yeah. Um, and um, and you know, they're just so thankful and they're so grateful and appreciative. And they've done so much with so little. And um, I, you know, it, it all sometimes brings tears to my eyes yeah. because, you know, they ended up winning the Irish Senior Double or sorry, Junior Doubles Championship with Fitz this year, and and just the joy that they got from that. It's just, yeah. uh, it's just really cool. So it's a cool but, story. Yeah. Are, are they um, are they in, in first year now, or are they going into college next year? What's they're going in in fall twenty twenty. So okay. as long as everything behaves itself with the COVID, yes. And, yes. You know, and, and look once again is and you know every every they've nonstop obstacles and challenges, and this is just another yeah. one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And and look that and I'd say if anybody was to ask, okay, you know, what does Mark do and how does Mark help me is 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 I find a way to get rid of obstacles and challenges. Like yeah. like I, I know how to get around the obstacles and challenges and then get what you want to be able to get out of, of what you want out of the experience and which can be so different from person to person. So um, you know, they've they've had plenty and 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 we'll just keep moving forward and, and we'll get them over there eventually. If yeah. it's fall or it's January. Yeah. January 2021 it's uh it's just it's it's going to happen so yeah so so that's about it in terms of uh what I wanted to bring up is there anything else you want to to mention before we before we leave it there um no no yeah um yeah so I, I want to go back I guess to earlier on in your your kind of your tennis life how, how you got to this point so how did you get into tennis um in the first place yeah so back in the day when I played uh which I'm 37 so there was only one place that would actually allow me to play sport as a club, and that was the tennis club. And so okay. I tried to get into the GA, I tried to get into the in, into soccer clubs, but I was six, I think it was five, five or six, and my mom and dad wanted me to get involved in the sport. So um, there was actually a lady in Nason Tennis Club called Mary Rose Lyons, which, which is a legend around here, and she said, right, if you take 10 tennis lessons from me on my own private tennis court, and you can prove that you're good enough, we'll let you join the club. <laughs> okay, okay, so I, I passed the test and, and I ultimately joined the tennis club when I was five, I think, or six, I think, years old. And, and then that was a much simpler time back then. My mom and dad would just throw me down there during the summers yeah. and I would just, you know, I'd have 50 pence and, and you'd enter a tournament for 50 pence and there was a sweet shop there that they'd give me, a, you, know, you know, 50p to go spend in the sweet shop. And, yeah. and uh, you know, literally, that's all I did for probably my first five years of my life was 
was just uh, hang around the tennis club and hit against walls and, and everything like that. So. And so how did tennis then develop for you kind of through your teenage years and, and heading, I guess, towards college time? So you, you kept playing, you kept playing to a good, a good, a good level, I guess? Yeah, I, I, I mean, yeah, like, I, you know, I, I won fits under 12s, uh, okay. 16s, and I won doubles and, and mixed, I think, under, I can't even remember this stage, but I think 18s <laughs> and, and, and 14s. Okay, but, uh, yeah, so and I re- represented Ireland at the Junior Olympics and uh, loads, of, loads of great things in my, my junior career. But, you know, funny enough is, is I look back on my junior career and I've, I, I have regrets that um, I didn't enjoy it more and I didn't enjoy the process. I was, I was obsessed with winning and, um, you know, I literally didn't lose a match, I think, until I was 13 or 14 um, in my own age group. So, yeah. and, and you know what, and I always tell the story to everybody, but I was supposed to get a dog uh, when I was 13 or 14 and I was playing in Shankill Junior Open and um, my mom and I was in the final and I lost the final. It was the very first match I ever lost in my life. And I remember like calling a really bad line call and match point and my mom seeing it and basically uh i argued and i think i even cried and and yeah. and, uh, and i was devastated this was the first time i'd ever lost my own age group and they they told me that i wasn't allowed to have a dog and and you know what that was the best lesson i ever learned because uh i ultimately actually took a, t- a bit of a break off tennis then and played a little bit of rugby and then ever since that moment of playing the rugby I, I then realized how much I missed my tennis and I've been involved yeah. in tennis ever since. And then obviously went off on the scholarship like most Irish players when I was 18 to the States and, and, uh, and then briefly came back to Ireland for a small time, but then mostly spent my time until recently in, in America. I see. So how was that process for you uh, actually going to college? Obviously, that's kind of what you're specializing in now, but how was that uh, for you at the time of choosing yeah. your college and, and finding the right one and that kind of thing? Yeah, and look, and and it was a simpler time with recruitment back then. Again, you know, I mean, I put I remember putting the VHS tape together, and turning it then into an American tape, and then sending it over to the coach, and then the coach, if he liked it or didn't like it, would send it back to me, and I'd send it to the next coach. Right? Yeah. So, but you know, I look back, and it was very fond. All the players that were over there in America at the time were helping all of us incoming players so they they provide a little bit of guidance and you know as funny as this one legendary coach in in in, in college tennis he's, and he was actually the head of the USDA there for a while who went back to college as Brian Boland Brian actually funny enough was uh was just breaking out at a big time uh, university called University of Virginia and I wrote to University of Virginia um and uh, a handwritten note and and you know and he said look in a nice way like you're not good enough <laughs> like but he said here are three universities that I think that your standard would be a really great great level for and uh one of those three universities ended up being the university I went to but I, yeah. I, I I remember talking to the coach for like five minutes on the phone and then saying right he's got the scholarship for me it's on my budget and um, I had a small budget didn't have a lot and yeah. So uh, I told Brian about that years and years when I got back into college coaching as a coach myself. I said how how much that decision that he had done for me had come back to for me to do that to many other people. Like, and I'd done the same thing yeah. for years and years of my coaching. Is somebody would write to me and I wouldn't maybe they wouldn't be quite at the level. I'd always send on a couple of schools I thought that would be a good yeah. level for them. Yeah. So yeah. So how how were your playing days in in college then? How, how did that go for you? Yeah, so um, I was un- unfortunate a little bit, I guess. You know, I, I was a little bit injury prone. Um, okay. And so I w- had a great freshman year. I was actually freshman of the year of my conference, which was a really good achievement. 
And um, ultimately, after that, I went, I think, 23 and four at the number three position, which was which was a really, really good freshman year. Um, sophomore year, they moved me up to number one in the lineup. I was okay. not good enough to be number one in the lineup. And I was playing against a lot of players that um, were just a little bit better than me. If everybody knows who I am, I'm like, I'm, I'm five for five. I'm built not to be a tennis player. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, I tried my best, but I lost a lot at, in my, yeah. my second year. Um, you know, didn't manage my relationship with my coach, didn't have that fun relationship. We didn't, weren't the right fit. So then we ultimately, I decided to transfer and transferred to a, an amazing university called Memphis, which I ended up coaching then at. Um, okay. The coach there was a, a guy that, you know, has, has been a very big impact on a lot of people. His name is Paul Goble, and he kind of inspired me to want to be a college coach. Uh, and then, but I tore my rotator cuff literally oh. like one month into it. And I played okay. on a torn rotator cuff for probably three months. Um, so then, you know, by the time I recovered my senior year, I think I was playing five and six in lineup. I had a good winning record and doubles I was really good at. I've always been really good at doubles. Yeah. Um, and so that was kind of a little bit easier to get back on track with doubles because there's obviously a little bit less variables. But uh, so overall, I would say I, 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 for my standard, what I expected to get out of myself, I had a disappointing college career, but that kind of motivated me to want to do better as a coach. Um, you know, I kind of started off as a coach, wanted to prove that I could do it and I could, I, I, I could prove people wrong a little bit which, you know, which is probably not the right mindset to have, but, but uh, it also dr- drove me those first few years to work relentlessly hard at, at, at trying to become the best version of myself as a coach. Yeah, so you finished up your, your playing um, time in college and then was it pretty much straight away you went back in, into coaching or how did that transition take place in, into coaching? Yeah, so um, I was lucky enough, right, the first year you get what's called an um, OPT, which allows you to work in America after you graduate for one um, year. Okay. Um, funny enough is I was the assistant coach for the women's tennis team at Memphis, which that year they were, they had a rough year. I think they were like, they won one match and lost 20 or something. So it wasn't a great introductory to college (laughs) coaching, but, um, funny enough is I have a good story because, um, Hurricane Katrina came through New Orleans and my roommate in college, dad, um, bought a roofing company. And had told me that I could try to go down there and help learn the business. And I wanted to stay in America a little bit long term. So I ended up actually about a couple of weeks before the end of the of the end of the college season, I took this job opportunity to go down to Hurricane uh, to New Orleans. And so I worked uh, and learned the business of working for a roofing company. But that company actually didn't work out in the end because none of the insurance payments were coming through on the roofs. So then my uh, my year ran out and I came back to, to, to Ireland and, and, and worked actually for uh, a, a company back here for about six or seven months. Wasn't very happy back here and felt like I'd kind of grown apart from Ireland, didn't have my yeah. same friendships, lived yeah. at home, it was a bit of a grind. Um, but then I got this opportunity to work down um, on, a, on a kind of a paradise island called uh, uh, Key Biscayne at a Ritz-Carlton Hotel, which was right next to the Sony Ericsson Open. Okay. Um, so I worked for a company called Cliff Drysdale Tennis. And funny enough, now I actually help people find jobs for Cl- uh, to work in Cliff Drysdale Tennis. Um, it's come full circle. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's come full circle. So I worked there and I actually learned a lot about the, the, the management side of, of, of running large like um, uh, like large clubs where you know they had eleven pros, ten courts, 
40 hours to 50 hours a week on court. Uh, hundreds of people coming in for clinics right before the Sony Ericsson Open was taking place. You know, Serena Williams would be down there, you know. Um, all the top, top players would stay in that hotel during the tournament. So it was a kind of a cool experience. But then I got the opportunity um, right after, about a year and a year into that, I got married. And we had work permission then in America to my, to my wife from Alabama. And then okay. that Memphis job opened up for college coaching. And I, I, that was, I wanted to get back to Memphis so bad and become a college tennis coach, you know, so. You did. Um, so, for, so from your time coaching in, um, in the States, what, what, what's your, your highlights? Yeah, there's, there's a, a lot. Um, I'd say probably, um, we made the sweet 16 at Memphis, which for anyone knows college athletics, sweet 16 is a big, big thing. And, you know, okay. some of the guys on that team, you know, uh, Joe Salisbury just won Australian Open. Yeah. Doubles, Grand Slam. Yeah. So he was on that team. And uh, Joe was a very open-minded tennis player. So he was a lot of fun to coach. But then there was an Irish guy, David O'Hare, who yeah. you've had on. And, yeah, yeah. You know, but uh, that was kind of like the penultimate end to like a journey of where when we started coaching uh, at Memphis, when I started coaching Memphis, the men's tennis team, we were about 140, 150 in the nation. And that year, we were obviously one of the top 16 teams. And, and, yeah. and so the, I think that was probably one of the best memories of, of, of the oh, Funny enough, is the last match, the end of it, just kind of like looking back and saying, wow, we accomplished so much. Um, and it was accumulation of like probably four years of hard work that went into that. Yeah. And then probably the second thing was there's another guy who you interviewed, Julian. Julian was a part of a team yeah. where, at, at North Florida where North Florida had fallen short of winning their conference championship. For many, many, many years, they'd lost in the final. And we, we had a bit of an a, a adversity in that year of going forward to win the, actually that conference championship. But we ended up getting over the, the, the hump and winning the conference. And, you know, there's guys like, you know, uh, Jack Findle Hawkins, who just won the Irish Senior, uh, Senior Open this summer, last summer. He was, he was yeah. on that team. And, um, you know, I'm actually doing a Zoom call with that team on, on Monday just to kind okay. of talk about it and reminisce on, yeah. <laughs> yeah. On, on, on that season, you know. So... Um, so those are two highlights, but I think you look back and, and there's, look, college tennis, college athletics, there's so many highs and lows. There's lots of lows and lots of yeah. tough days too as well at the office. Yeah. But, uh, you know, there's definitely a lot of memories uh, that, that, that I haven't mentioned there that I, that, that, that I could easily make a top 10 list, you know. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm interested in, in talking for a moment about, about Joe Salisbury, who obviously now has gone on to have some, some big success. Um, I think he's not number number four in the world or something now. Um, so was at the time, could you tell? You know, there was something a bit different about him. Obviously, he's gone on to be slightly more successful than the others on the team. Would you've been able to, to you know to predict that at the time? Um, I, I don't think he can predict them winning the Grand Slam championship. And I've actually chatted him about that, and he's like, he said, "Yeah, I'm not even sure if I could have predicted that." <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But you know, I, I mean, I was a, a small little portion, and hopefully, of helping him in in the process of helping to get better, but. You know, I think those sort of players like Joe, they all, they, no matter who was their coach, no matter who they were with, they were always found a way to become the best version of themselves. Joe, in my opinion, had a couple of things. He, he, was, he was obsessed about tennis. He loved it. Okay. And was probably, as a junior, was, was hampered by a couple of things that stopped him from becoming the best version of himself. And so he was really fresh coming into college because he hadn't done as much as maybe some of the other players. And yeah. um, he also had an incredible growth mindset. He was, you know, he was at the, at the toughest times you could always 
come on court with him or in practice when he wasn't feeling good. And he'd always be willing to listen and hear what you had to say. And then he would decide if that information was going to help him become the best version of himself. Um, and I think then in, in big time and big pressure moment situations, I think the, the best of him always used to come out um, and he was always willing to take chances. Um, yeah. And so, for example, is something so simple was I remember, you know, on break points um, in, in doubles, we'd always say his backhand was sometimes his, um, sometimes his liability uh, on the return, especially. Yeah. So people would always try to kick up high on his backhand on, on a break point. So we, we already knew that was going to happen. So we basically say, look, every break point you go line with the backhand or run around to rip the forehand. Yeah. And the amount of times he'd actually shank the backhand line over the guy's head to break <laughs> was actually, it was quite a lot. And it was, we'd always laugh about it on the sideline because, you know, it was just that willingness to just take a chance and just not worry about the outcome and just try to control what you can control. So, so I think those are probably the three things, love and tennis, having a very growth mindset of open mindedness, and then obviously just being willing to take chances in the big moments. That's really interesting, yeah. Um, so a couple of things I want to mention more about about college um, tennis is I know that in college they play no lets. Um, so what's your thoughts on, on, on that rule? And are there any other rules that they have there that they don't have um, on the main tour? Yeah, I mean, that's a, it's a great question. Um, so the no let I really liked because, you know, I think with, with college athletics, we were always trying to make sure that we made it um, enticing for people to want to stay around from start to finish and yeah you know and not that a let court's going to make a match last ridiculously long but it, it stops the start stop like it, it keeps it going a little bit more so um i don't think it affected the outcome of a match enough so i actually yeah. liked it and um, i personally i actually loved the no ad um america was college yeah. tennis was the first ones to do it i love okay. it because i think it's a fantastic development tool I think the no ad makes sure that every player um, values every point of played in the game. And so every point's a big point. So when you have every point being a big point, it takes 100% focus and attention to every detail on every point. So you have to have a plan. And I think that can, you can manage that and you can, as a player, to your advantage. And what I always say to guys that I coached and, and I continue to say to this time is like, you know, you should know your strengths. You should know when you walk up to hit a serve on that a no ad point of nine times out of 10, what's the best outcome for me if I do this? Or on the return side, what's the best way for me to control what I can control off the return and not worry about what the other player is doing? And I think over the course of a year, if you play no ad points the same way, I think you're going to come out on, on, ahead on the no ad. And I think it's, I yeah. think it's great because it's just so much pressure. It is, yeah. and and, you know, people don't like pressure sometimes, but ultimately the best people love pressure and they love realizing that they're going to fail plenty of times and they're going to succeed plenty of times. It's just, can you remember the, 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 the success more than you can remember the times you failed? Yeah. Um, and I think that's why people, sometimes people that have a, maybe a fixed mindset, they kind of focus a little bit too much on the times they fail rather than focusing on too much by focusing more time on the time that they succeeded at doing it, you know? So. Yeah. And the, the, the no ad is obviously something they use now on, on the doubles tour. And like, I always enjoy watching the matches with the, you know, like it's, it's all cause it's, you know, entire matches can, can turn on that one point, you know, if it's four all or something and, you know, in assess the, you know, the whole second turn on that. And I find that really, 
you know, it's, it is exciting to um, you know to watch those points. It does add a lot to to the game. It does momentum. It's huge momentum is, and I'm a big believer in momentum management. Yeah. Um, and a lot of my mentors as coaches were, you know, you talk about Own Casey. I mean, this guy's a legend when it comes to tactics in the world of coaching. Own Casey is about as good as it gets. You know, um, I was talking to James Colun on his podcast about yeah, a guy called yeah. Chuck Creasy. I mean, these guys are these guys understand not just momentum in, in tennis, but momentum in in life and in, in other sports. Um, so definitely, yeah, that's 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 a huge part of it, and and I think it makes it more exciting for the viewer. And yeah. look. There's so many debates on this. Is 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 tennis dying out, or is it becoming, you know, is it is it prospering? And you know, I don't know. I'm not an expert on that, but I I do think that people's attention spans are getting shorter and shorter, and they want to see yeah. peaks and valleys of entertainment. And and it's such a hard one because there's so much great tradition in tennis and and so many values that you get from tennis. But you have to also look at it and say that you know the sport doesn't exist without people viewing it, right? Yeah. So. And that's obviously a tricky one. So. Yeah. So another thing that they have obviously in in the states that you wouldn't see on the regular tour is you know it's that aspect of of playing for a team as well as playing for yourself. So it's all about the team. Um. So how like what 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 do you see as the big advantages of of that to it's like to a player's development when they're when they're over in in the, in the US? Oh, like yeah, team for me. I think it saved my tennis, my love of tennis. Um. And you know, I think I was always like always very selfish and self-centered as a tennis player, which makes a great tennis player sometimes too, right? So it's tricky. Yeah. Um, mm. But for me, I just loved when I became a part of a team because it no longer became about myself. Yeah. And it was about having a transcendent cause towards what was best for the overall team. And I think that's why I wanted to become a college coach because I think I really enjoyed that aspect of it. Um, and when I came back to Ireland, I, I I've always loved league, uh, DLTC league, and I think it's a massive positive for Irish tennis. And you know, and and I'm lucky to be part of NACE Tennis Club, which has great leadership and great people in place there to 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 kind of foster that that part of league tennis and being part of a team. And that's really filled a massive void that I was worried about before I came back. Was wow, yeah. I'm, okay, I'm not going to have my university community anymore and my university team that I felt like was my you know, part of my identity. Right. Um, yeah. and so now I, I feel like that it's, it's, it's been very enjoyable to be a, a part of the, the overall NACE team. Does that make yeah. sense? But yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. I just, that might sound a bit cheesy, but I feel like <laughs> I, I genuinely am like on, on team Ireland. Like I, I want more Irish tennis players staying with tennis. I want them to still love the games of tennis and, and keep going because there's so many things you can get back from the sport, yeah. you know, and that I've, and I've gotten back from the sport. Yeah, for sure. I just want to go on yeah, now to kind of going back to Ireland. We've been obviously talking about the States for a little bit, but going back um, to Ireland. Um, so I know you obviously do work in NACE. So what, what, what exactly is your role in NACE? How does that kind of fit in with, you know, your all sports uh, recruitments? Yeah, and I, and I really don't have a role. Like I'm, I'm not, you know, I'm very fortunate. NACE is a very, very laid back club. So my role, if any, is just being um, a mentor to some of the junior tennis players. And we have, we created something called Next Gen NACE, which ultimately was just something for me to help get the player to understand the value of team and to help prepare them because I was, a lot of the players that I was helping when I first started the business were actually involved with NACE Tennis Club. Okay. So it was really just, you know, a tool I used for them to help prepare them better for America. And then it kind of grew a little bit more where 
you know, people started to want to become a part of the, the process of being part of that team. So now, you know, it's very much a, a, a group of players that I, our number one goal is to help each other. Um, yeah. So when you're at the junior tennis tournaments, are you looking and supporting your teammates? Um, are you, you know, if they need a knock-up before their, their match, are you going to be able to give them a knock-up before their match, right? Um, even, for example, there, we just did a Zoom call a couple of days ago with all those next-gen NACE players, and we were just talking about things that you were grateful for, like, and what are you appreciative for right now at the moment? And what did you do in the back garden that you think that's helped you prepare you for when we come out of this? So it's just really getting everybody together to help each other and do be yeah. better versions of themselves, right? Yeah. Um, and I always tell them, I said, like, Irish people and Irish tennis players, they're not the competition. The world yeah. is your competition. Yeah. yeah. And you know what? We're all competing for winning an Irish national championship at Fitz, but there's so much more so much more out there than just that. And don't just focus on that, you know, being the penultimate end to your tennis career, you know? So yeah. hope that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. So just so sticking then with with tennis in Ireland, um, obviously a big part of tennis in Ireland for for a lot of people, probably most people listening would be the DLTC and all the leagues, the junior leagues, senior leagues. Um, so I'm just interested in what's, what's your opinion about the DLTC and its, maybe its potential and also just the, the role it does play. Oh, it's, it's amazing. And, and I feel so lucky. And, and I actually talk to other players around the world, former players, and the only way they can really, apart from the Germans, which they have a good league system yeah. there, most countries, it's very hard after you, you, you finish juniors to actually find somewhere to play competitive tennis, but still be enjoyable. And we're so lucky to have it. And it's, it's, and the way it's set up too as well of doubles and singles and, and yeah. it varies from uh, from from season to season. It's just fantastic. We're we're just so lucky. Um I think it's the healthiest thing about Irish tennis. I think it's uh I think the league I, I would love if the LTC can even keep growing it more and more, but it's also they have a, such a well oiled machine that they're not willing to change it. Yeah. Um, which is totally understandable too yeah. as well. And I I'm obviously a big like person of growing things and wanting things to get better and better. So, you know, there's definitely some fantastic ideas that you could keep, you know, expanding on it. But even if it stayed the same way for the next 50 years, it'd be still something that we're so lucky to have. And you mentioned there are changes. What, what, what changes? Do you have any examples of those of changes that, that could be made maybe to, to advance this? Yeah. I mean, I think from a technology, technology standpoint, they could definitely like, you know, use some more creative ways to make it, uh, to make it more accessible and, yeah. and, and, and I think everybody wouldn't be something, I think everyone would probably agree with that. But once again, yeah. you, you can't criticize. They've got something that works, right? And, yeah. and yeah. there's so much volunteers and there's so many people that are doing so many great things behind the scenes that are, they're doing thankless jobs, you know? So it's hard to criticize that because they're doing such a good job. But I would say also as well as, you know, I think from from probably the class two, class three, all the way up to class seven and eight standard, I probably wouldn't change too much. I think it's 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 done really well. Okay. I think um, there's lots of great ideas out there from the high performance side that you could add um, and make it a little bit more player friendly and make it more desirable for 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 the senior players that are even still playing competitively on the pro tour to be able to play still yeah. and want to do it. Yeah, and um, you know. We, this could take me hours to go into this, but I'm a massive <laughs> proponent of of the clubs taking ownership of their players, right? And so the Germans, you know, have a great league structure where they're able to even give back to their players, their high performance players, to help fund them 
and they're in the process of their journey and then they're able to share the journey of professional tennis with their players right so um even examples like my old assistant Malte Strop uh, who's a German German tennis player like okay. you know Dustin Brown would have he would have coached Dustin Brown in the summers when I was uh, when he was coaching at North Florida and yeah. Dustin then would have been playing league for his club and and you know the whole club felt a part of of the journey of 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 Dustin and and when he beat Nadal at Wimbledon yeah. it's, you know I think that the clubs and the high performance side of of league tennis there could be a lot done there that could really help the the the, the Pete Botwells of the world the Simon Cars the Julian Bradleys like these yeah. guys are unbelievable guys that deserve like to keep going because they're true professionals and yeah. they're not just out there just kind of going through the motions they're doing things the right way you know so yeah if you, re- you really do think that that you know league is kind of a, a tool that can be used definitely for for future growth with within oh, ireland for, for tennis big zone i feel very strongly that yeah that that that's yeah. i think the way that because look I, I, and once again we can spend hours talking about this but <laughs> look if 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 somebody does well how many people does it impact if they're not part of a club? If maybe 10 people in their circle, yeah. okay? Yeah. And if 10 people in their circles share the success and the journey that you have, that's great. But ultimately, you know, if, if you were a part of the club from the age of 13 or 14 and you've grown with your club and the club feel that they're a part of your journey and they're, they're supporting you at every, every step of the journey, right? Yeah. When it comes time to playing in Wimbledon, You'd have a thousand people from NACE going over to Wimbledon yeah. to see you play in that first round match. And and that's look, once again, I coach Joe Salisbury, but he's had probably maybe fifty coaches along the way. Yeah. And I'm a tiny part of his journey, but I still get a, so much enjoyment out yeah. of seeing him do well. And because I was a little part of his journey, you know? Yeah. And and I think that's what tennis as an individual sport is sometimes it has a hard time doing. It's 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 that if you can make it about an overall community, then maybe then more people can benefit from one person being um, successful. You know, yeah. And um, and obviously America's very America's a very philanthropist country, and I would say yeah. Ireland's probably not as philanthropy driven. So for many many reasons, so it is tougher for these guys to get funding and girls to get funding to keep going, and you know and and. I try to help as much as I can, but I've obviously still in a situation financially where I'm still growing what I'm trying to do yeah. too as well. You know? Yeah. Uh, overall, what is your opinion on, on the state of, of Irish tennis at the moment compared maybe to the past and also just focusing on the present? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's, it's the same as it's, it's ever been. I think it's healthy. And once again, is how do you view uh, a country being healthy at tennis? If you say from a standpoint of we do have a number of players in the world, no. But um, do people love the sport of tennis? Do, is it... The amount of clubs in the in the in the country of Ireland that have active people playing tennis, absolutely yeah. yes. Yeah. So I th- I personally think it's very very healthy. Um, I think from a performance standpoint, I I don't think we're far off. I think you know people like Gary Cal, they were popping out great quality juniors players over the years, like under 14s, under 16, under 18, that had tremendous success. Yeah. And. You know, yeah, have they gone on to being top 100 in the world? No, but that's so difficult and there's so many variables involved in that. So, like, I do think that we've produced good quality tennis players, but I also think that, you know, we're only a small country and there's only a certain amount that we can do. But if you actually look at the overall picture, I think I would say one point of, of how can we 
keep getting it better is like, how do we make sure that we keep as many females involved in the sport from the age of 15 to 18? Um, How do we not lose those those girls um, and give them a reason of why they should stay involved in tennis? Because there's even more benefits from the female side for staying staying with your sport, you know. So yeah. Um, but overall, I honestly, and I know people will say like, "Oh, you know, you're just focusing on the positives," but like that's what that's what I think people should do is you know yeah. not look at what we don't have, but look at what we do have. And what we do have yeah. is we have a lot of people playing tennis. But, yeah. But do we need more people sticking with the sport and and playing in senior events at a, at a decent level? Absolutely, yes. Do yeah. we need people leaving the country uh, in tennis and having a positive experience? So that when they come back to the country, they're they're still they're speaking positively about it. Yeah, definitely that needs to improve a little bit. Yeah, and um, well, so I'll wrap up in a in a few minutes. I really uh, really appreciate your your time. Um, but what what's your uh, your favorite thing about tennis? Oh yeah, my favorite thing about tennis. I think my favorite thing about tennis is like I still don't think I've figured it out. <laughs> yeah, um, and I'm love I love problem solving. That's probably my favorite thing to do. Uh, and tennis makes me constantly feel like I have the problem solve. And no matter what you do on a tennis court, the next day you, when you come back, you're yeah. always going to feel like there's something that you need to get better at. And um, I'd say that's yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, no. hopefully you haven't talked too long. No, um, I'm not having a long talk. Yeah, that's <laughs> probably probably some of people say is I talk too much. So, <laughs> um, but no, it's been an absolute pleasure. And look. To be honest, Adam, actually, if I would say one thing is it's people like yourself. Like I know we talked a little bit before this, you know, yeah. you've, you've been there for the players. You've, you've been able to publish their results. You've given them a voice by doing their podcast. And you know what, this is what it takes an Irish tennis player. People doing simple things like what you've enjoyed doing and helping these players. And there's so many people out there in Irish tennis that could do something small but something small done for like 150, 250 people do, doing something small adds up to a lot, you know? So I know those guys and girls are really appreciative of what you do. And an Irish tennis should be appreciative of what you do because you know what? My journey and the journeys of many Irish tennis players have, 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 have sometimes been forgotten because yeah. of, there's someone like yourself hasn't been out there to be able yeah. to help them. And so I know I talked to all those guys and, and girls and they, they're really appreciative of you. So they, hopefully they tell you that. Um, but if they don't, they're definitely saying it to me. So, Well, th- thanks very much. That's very kind. And if I can, you know, if for me, like if I can think that, that what I am doing is, is making a difference to, you know, to anybody, that's, that's just really great for me. So thank, thanks very much for, uh, for, for the kind words. And then also just for, um, for joining me today. Uh, thanks very much for giving up your time. I hope you, you'll, you'll keep well and you'll, you'll get, you'll get through this and yeah and thank and you so much stronger the other side and i'm glad i talked so much that you didn't have time for the quiz that's a yeah, win for I, me because <laughs> i'm not good at quizzes <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah you're all right don't worry about it don't worry about it all um, right take care i'd like to thank mark very much for his time and for coming on the show also big thanks to everyone who listens to this episode i hope you found it interesting if you enjoyed the episode please subscribe to the show so you don't miss the next episode And also, tell a friend, help spread the word if you did enjoy it. Until next time, I've been Adam. Thanks very much for listening. Stay safe.